It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. usual we let you guys vote this was a nail biter scott i'm trying to remember what your pick was on this 13th warrior okay so 13th warrior did not fare well but it's because people don't understand (laughs) i thought it was the one about the kangaroos and then i remember it was war that's warriors of virtue (laughs) (laughs) but kyle you picked jumanji and it was it was literally a one vote difference to bring us into streets of fire (laughs) dude i voted for streets of fire so i (laughs) think i fucked it up I know. <laughs> it's like, but actually, this is, I, I was, I was excited to see this. I have never seen this before. Yeah, so, this is my first and last pick. So here was my bizarre viewing of Streets of Fire. I took a class in college that I could not explain to you what the fuck this class was. It was literally just called pop culture. Oh well, this and okay. and the teacher would just show up usually ten to fifteen minutes late for a forty-five minute class, which was wild. And she would just have us watch a movie. And for some reason, we watched Streets of Fire three times that semester. You just, you just really have, I think you have a lot to talk about with this movie. And, and like, <laughs> it was so insane. And I watched it the first time. I'm like, what the fuck is this? But then by the third time that I was watching it in class, I was like, all right, this soundtrack's pretty fire. So I bought the soundtrack, and then the songs got stuck in my head, and then I bought the Blu-ray from Shop Could Factory. Could you contact your other classmates and open up a case against this professor? <laughs> that, can, there, can there be a class action lawsuit? So my notes break into two different pieces, right? Piece number one is just my my thoughts and my, my praise Prayers. and complaints while watching it. Of course. And then the second page is all of the information that I pulled about this movie there's so much information about this movie there's for a movie that so like that no tanked. one knows about for good reason it's not a good movie i just i just want to be completely clear here everybody it's not a good so movie. i think i somewhat disagree i don't think it's a good movie i think that this is a perfect example of the wrong casting bringing down an entire movie which one <laughs> i think 
well, if you if you break down the making of this movie, it seems like picking a very inexperienced young actor to be the lead of your movie. Michael Pere. Michael Pere was apparently super difficult to work with. He looked like he was about to fall asleep every scene. Yeah, him and Rick Moranis apparently got into multiple fights because he didn't like that Rick Moranis would make fun of him. Walter Hill and him disagreed on a bunch of stuff and would fight about it constantly. And even uh, the writer of the film went as far as to say that that there was a little bit of an issue that he felt like, okay, maybe if we didn't cast him, this would have this would have gone better for us. Damn. Damn, because I like I kind of liked his character. I kind of like Really? I think he... he's a piece of shit. Oh, well, I, I, I like the way he delivered this piece of shit. Like, I liked, <laughs> like, I just thought it was, it was so intriguing to look at. But he also looked like a dude I went to school with. <laughs> I just couldn't. This dude, Phil, who's kind of a, he was kind Fuck of a Phil. piece of shit, too. Yeah, well, well, everybody knows Phil. Phil. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock through these facts real fast uh well as fast as i can because it's a lot and then we'll dive into the movie um but the movie went on to make eight million dollars uh on a production of 14.5 million dollars so this is a bona fide bomb um according to walter hill the origins came from a desire of what he wanted to make as a perfect film for when he was a teenager and all the things that he thought were great then which he still had great affection for custom cars kissing in the rain lots of nylon trains high-speed pursuits rumbles rock stars motorcycles joking when in tough situations sandwiches. leather jackets and and questions of your own honor according to the Bro. writer gross hill said that he wanted the film to be about the hero in a comic book but since he didn't like any of the comic books he read he just wanted to create his own original character he wanted to create his own comic book movie without a source material during the filming of 48 hours Gross said that walter hill was getting annoyed at this vision that he didn't care for women um he said people think that i don't this like movie. women and i know that that's not true that's why i want to demonstrate even more in my next film and that's why he's going to do something new and put a bunch of female characters at the center of the narrative as opposed to just damsels in distress um, gu- um guys i don't think that he succeeded I don't in that, think that <laughs> this movie is so misogynistic it's um, like hey you stupid broad you know it's, it's every dude skirt. So you here's scared. another and thing. And even the women fun. hate women. It's yeah. fucking so, wild. So yeah. here's another thing I thought was interesting. So Amy Amy uh, Madigan uh, originally came in to read for Reva, Cody's sister, but told mm-hmm. Helen Silver that she really wanted to play the role of McCoy, which was written to be played by an overweight male who is a good soldier just in need of a job. She said, I think that I could play tough and strong, and I think that you could have a woman do it without even rewriting the part. Hill mm-hmm. agreed and just cast her in the role and changed a few lines. That's, that's, total, that's, that's a Sigourney Weaver thing, right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a total Sigourney Weaver thing. Um, and then Walter Hill's thoughts on the movie were that the audience will go with you if you uh, set up a completely abstract world with teenage values and play out the drama within it. It was kind of real, but it also wasn't at all. I always said that whenever someone says fantasy, they immediately think of something like Disney. The idea of a hard-hitting drama inside of a fantastical world, well, that was kind of different at the time. I always thought of it as sort of a musical. I saw, I, they kind of saw that it worked in the world of an MTV music video, but I was also inspired by the teen flicks of John Hughes. They were in the universe of a teen movie and a teen reality. So here's what we are going. So here's where it's going to be weird about our movie. No one was ever going to be over thirty. The whole world is a high school, especially Tom Cody being a football hero and Willem Dafoe being a total greaser. Remember, you had John Hughes films at the time, but you also had Francis Ford Coppola making The Outsiders and Rumblefish. So Walter said that they were going to make a high school movie that's also going to be a comic book, but also be a musical. 
Uh, he also didn't want the film to be specifically violent because there are no, so there's no blood and no one would die because in his eyes, this was a high school fairy tale. Mm. Um, and then the last thing I had written down was that the screenwriter, Larry Gross, said that he does think that the film has been influential. He said, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, Streets of Fire did have a little bit of an impact on other filmmakers. There's two films that came out in the years after that I think are at least inspired by some of the iconography that we put into Streets of Fire, and those would be RoboCop and Seven. Seven takes place in a completely different world. It's not New York. It's not Chicago. It's a world where it just rains all the time. It's always dark. It's always night. Um, There are two very successful movies that figured out how to do the stylized version with the approximate amount of gore that hooked in an audience. I think we would have done so much better if we had more gore. I don't think this movie would have been better with gore. I think this movie would have been better with, like, so many other things. So gore many. has no, it doesn't even track on gore the top is 10. Gore not on the list. And then, yeah. and then someone had pointed out the 1989 beat em up game, Final Fight, actually is very similar to the plot line of Streets of Fire. I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> and in Final 2008, uh, Albert Payne, who did Cyborg, also made an unofficial sequel called Road to Hell. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. R.I.P. He just passed away. Yeah. Oh. Sad, sad. Yeah. But yes, here we are, Streets of Fire, a rock and roll fable from another place and another time. Um, I, you know, laying out all that stuff. I mean, I it, it sounds like mission accomplished. He said that he thought of this like being like a teen. You know what I mean? Like he he said in one of the other things that I pulled, like this is basically a teen version of the Warriors. Like if mm-hmm. the Warriors were all high yeah. school students, oh, yeah. this is what he was uh, making. Yeah. I, and I I felt that very like through and through. There was even like I think pulled like direct shots like direct setups from the Warriors especially on the subway stuff like all the framing of that and the was subway Warriors car going down was uh, 78 or 79 yeah so I'm torn on this movie I obviously am the one who likes it the most on this but I know that it's not good <laughs> <laughs> like I'm watching I'm like this isn't the right movie this was fairly well received by the critics I think it had like a high 60% low 70% there's like a good there's a big following for it too but, the, now. but all of them called out Michael Para and I'm gonna mer- massacre his name every time I say it I can tell Michael Para and uh, Diane Lane as the two biggest faults in the movie I think that one of the biggest mistakes and this actress actually voiced that she felt this way too is that you've got E.G. Daly in this movie that is a musical, and she doesn't sing a, a single song, but then you've got Diane Lang lip-singing two songs, yeah. and I'm like... The weirder thing, though, is that they got legit music... I'm pretty sure they got legit musicians to back her... to be her backing band. Yeah, it was but this band called no Fire one, Inc. Yeah. Okay, so the drummer is obviously playing, but he's mm-hmm. literally playing some other song. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's lip-syncing correctly, and he's just over there like fills and fucking snare hits and it's it's amazing because it's not even like I, I was trying to think that they were like they did a shitty job of syncing in the editing but no it's it's literally that that just different the songwriters in this movie not even the bands that performed the people that came in and wrote songs for this movie yeah we gotta talk un- about that unreal the amount of people that they got to do this so i i like the songs in this movie that's probably the biggest plus for me I like I probably could have used like movie. one or two more songs i i agree with you it There's wasn't a, really a rock and roll musical it was no, like no. there were like a couple of songs that's it it was bookended yeah. by music mostly yeah. with yeah, it, like much. one or two yeah. songs in the at the end and then i will say credit where credit's due this is one of those movies there is no first or second act. This movie just starts in act three and lives there. I give it credit for that because I do think that this movie 
warts and all, because there is a lot of problems with this movie, but I feel like the movie moves. Like it's like set piece to set piece to set piece to set piece, like never really slowing yeah. down. The problem is that the main lead seems like he does not want to be there. But like Rick Moranis, even playing this douchey character that's so different from Rick oh, Moranis. I loved hearing him say shit. He said yeah. shit like yeah. three times and it was the best part of this. I movie. was gonna say yeah. he he has that star quality where you just like he, if he's on screen, you're paying attention to him. Oh, yeah. Like every time that he Rick does. Moranis showed up, I'm like, all right, what's Billy Fish up to? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I felt the same way when Willem Dafoe, uh, as little as he was, kind of in the movie. But as soon as he showed up on screen, man, like, did you catch dude. who his second in command was? No, uh, I no, I don't know who it was. It's Lee Ving from the band Fear. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Who also was Mr. Body in in Clue, but like that's what? fucking weird. <laughs> I was like, what is happening is here? Nuts. There's also that's like bizarre. there's a bizarre like he doesn't very... play any music. What the fuck yeah. does he do? What? Yeah. That's what the, I mean. They brought in an actual musician. For... <laughs> have fear play that song. Remember when they're in the 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 bombers bar and that mm-hmm. band is playing rockabilly and the dude is literally drowning in his own sweat. He, yeah. he couldn't even open his eyes. He's sweating so much. Do you so know who that band is? I, I thought know. it was fucking Tom Waits at first. I was no. like, that's not Tom Waits. <laughs> it's, it's the Blasters who do most of the songs in From Dust Till Dawn. What? They did that Holy song Dark shit. Night. <laughs> but the song that they're singing. So weird. They're singing a song called One Bad Stud, yeah. which was written. This song that they're performing was written for the movie by okay. Jerry Lieber and Mike Stroller, who wrote Hound Dog and Kentucky Rain for Elvis. That sound it tracks, <laughs> though. Like It does track. That's what I mean. I think he found the right people for those songs. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I don't, also- I won't argue that, but also, if you were to remake this movie, like, if you were to take the, the, the structure of this film and remake it now, it would be, as we said before the recording started, uh, we would have Mandy Moore as yes. Diane Lane, in Diane Lane, well, more or less. I mean, she's she's a little on the older side, but uh, for Diane Lane, because she probably couldn't have been more than like twenty seven in this. But and Mandy Moore, I think she's in her late thirties. Maybe she's forty by now. I mean, because she's probably my age. I think or she's older. forty actually. Um, she looks fantastic. I only know this because yeah. Megan got me to care about this is us, and um, I cried every single time I sat down and watched an episode. So my my yeah. mistake there. I was shocked when you said that because I'm like. You're a man who does not like a drama Fucking that will make him but cry. Then I, I, well, also, we went and saw Hamilton last night. It was phenomenal. Oh, and um, I, I cried by song two. Oh, I yeah. was, yep. <laughs> oh, dude, I was I was waterworks when I saw it, dude. I was oh, fucking, man, this I was, was this is the second time that I've seen it and the third time Megan has seen it. And this production mm-hmm. is way better. Yeah. It, it, like, nice. it, it's not – well, it was way better for me because they added a lot of little flourishes that just made it nice. way more – Just, it was very, very cool. I Can it. I say that that's my favorite thing about musicals is that even a perfectly structured musical that is, like, beloved in the hands of every different production can have these little twists and turns mm-hmm. where it's, like – you could see a hundred different companies do the exact same musical and feel like you've seen a hundred different adaptations. And that is so fucking cool. That's and a beautiful that's like a beautifully like I don't want to say it's not underappreciated, but it's like not talked about enough as like part of what makes theater so magical. Mm-hmm. Like that's not an aspect that I think gets talked Even about. Even the idea enough. of just seeing the same cast a diff- bunch of different days, it's always gonna be a little bit yeah. different because it yeah. is a live experience. I like think yep. that, so I think that the troupe that's doing it. Um, I think a lot of the backup dancers um, and the back when you say backup dancers and Hamilton, they're not just backup dancers. They're doing they're they no, probably so pulling much. more weight than the actual leads because well, they most, are. I, I think 99 percent of the time anyway, with Hamilton specifically, 
like the backup dancers are also understudies because uh, when the yeah. Disney Plus version came out of the original cast, me and my friends were like, that dancer in the background is who played Jefferson when we saw it on Broadway. Yeah. Like oh, that and person let me just is, say, yeah, the Jefferson like, that we have for this run in Cleveland is so good. Yeah, yeah. so good. He was like very sassy and it was it just That's the way he was less do it. he was yeah. less of a um james brown i mean like the first time we saw it i mean it, the character is really written to be a james brown but this yeah. guy was way more of like almost fey yeah like it, it it's was also, awesome there were so many femme moments that were just hilarious great. that that was the comedy aspect yeah. of this one it's also it so much big better. shoes to step into anything in hamilton honestly because it's like i am hard pressed to think of a musical that has like that's original cast is filled with so many oh like iconic yeah heavy and hitting it, because performances. it's gonna yeah. sound like you're um just trying to imitate yeah if you, you have don't. to do yes. your own thing or you're gonna yes. you do. people oh, are gonna write you off was yeah. as good if not better than the original king and i know that uh, might sound like blasphemy but he he brought more humor to it. It was, it was actually way funnier than the last time I saw it. And I I feel like I've listened to the soundtrack a lot. The original yeah. soundtrack with Lin-Manuel in it and everything. And I felt like everybody brought... I, I can't say that the the ladies were as good as the original I cast. I mean, but, but you can't how touch... How can you be? Renee, Renee alone is like one of the best singers that we've... My biggest strike against Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist was that they had her in it and she only sang one song in the entire series. Yeah. I'm like, you've got like one of the best singers in Broadway history and she got she gets to do a duet with Lauren Graham? Like, that's, that is that is unfair. Um, All right, I'm so sorry. I got, I got, no, I got this off. is... Track Hamilton is my favorite musical. Like I love Little Shop. I, it still is my number two. Um, but Hamilton is, in my opinion, a, a completely different beast because it's like a puzzle. It's a perfect, yeah. perfectly constructed puzzle. Mm. No, I totally um, get that. Little Shop's my number two. The Streets of Rage, um, Streets of Fire, <laughs> Streets of Fire. And that, but, <laughs> but no. Okay, so if we were to do this movie, um, so this movie came out in '84. They're basically saying like 25 years in the past. So 57, 58, whatever. Yeah, so we'd be um, doing like an 80s, 90s it would, film. It'd be a late 90s uh, or Early it would 2000s, actually be yeah. like it'd be 99, 2000. Um, so everybody would be, it would be <sighs> okay. Mandy Moore in the lead uh, as as whatever her name is. Ellen, um, yeah. Ellen Lee or Ellen whatever. Um, and then we would have everybody driving Sunfires because those <laughs> <laughs> that was the car that everybody had in 1999. Dude, and they would be they instead of going to like that bar, they'd go to like the mall. They would go to the like, mall. It would be the but but the greasers would just be a bunch of white kids with backwards hats and junko jeans. Yes, dude, <laughs> dude. that's yes, yes. Or would they be preps? No, they'd be greasers. Greasers were not preps, so yeah, yeah. they would be the they'd be listening mm-hmm. to new metal with their jinkos on, and they'd be like, "You're gonna be mm-hmm. my girlfriend for a week and a half." <laughs> Dude, oh, 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 and just like huffing, just like Kyle, let's make huffing, this. Like, dude, be doing They be doing whippets. Yeah, just fucking doing whippets. Oh, yeah. Can I go real quick? Can I, can we pause? I love this. Let me tell you about. <laughs> let me tell you about the stupid short film slash sketch idea that I had today, 
which was um, West Hot American Summer, which was reimagining <laughs> Wet Hot American Summer if Wes Anderson had directed it. Where Throw like, that into one of those AI generators. Yeah, where it's like all like folky versions of the songs from the movie and everyone delivers the dialogue in a very monotone, plain way. It would, kinda, it would, look, really Moonrise, it would look really Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I wanted to bring up some of these other... Uh, say, singers and songwriters that came on here and I didn't write down who wrote every single song but like Stevie Nicks wrote a song for this movie Tom Petty wrote a song for this movie but the best the best Insane. examples of them finding the absolute right person to write specific songs was um, so Kenny Vance is a name that I don't know if many people know I am mm -hmm. a huge fan of Kenny Vance he's like a 1950s doo-wop star who later went on to produce all of Steely Dan's records oh, but no he kidding. wrote he wrote the doo-wop song Countdown to Love that the uh, the doo-wop group sings in the bus great song great perfect song. thing there and then Jim Steinman only knows how to write one type of song and they bookend this movie and if you like what Jim Steinman does Great news. <laughs> you're you're not talking about I Can Dream About You, right? Because that's Hartman. No, I'm talking about the opening and closing songs, Nowhere Fast oh, and Tonight oh, Is What mean It Means this, to Be Love. I thought, sorry, I thought that you were talking about the songs that sounded exactly like they could have been on Vicious Lips. Uh, <laughs> or I'm sorry, those are the songs that are that, that could easily have been from Vicious Lips. Dude, this movie is Vicious Lips. I'm sorry if you guys, like, fuck! Can I just already say that this was gonna? That's gonna be my that's my fine. Double feature? You can take Fuck. it. Fuck. But so so nowhere fast. Uh, so for people who might not know the name Jim Steinman for any reason, he wrote all of Bad Out of Hell, all of Bad Out of yeah. Hell two, and then also wrote a song called Total Eclipse of the Heart. He wrote a song Look. called Holding Out for a Hero. <laughs> like these little obscure eighty songs. These songs sound exactly like all of those yeah. songs. He, so he much phone so, in. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. nowhere fast. Meatloaf covered on his album the same year this movie came out. The opening song. Why? There's Why? a Meatloaf version. There's some of real it. synergy going on here. <laughs> like, well, so can we talk about I Can Dream About You? Sure. That no, was I the lead single. I mean, it's a great song. It's a lead sing It's one of those songs. It's a so perfect pop 50s throwback sound. It it's is. so good. But the funny thing is, is that that's okay. So when I was when I was always looking for songs to do death metal covers of, when I found like Call Me, that was that exact like kismet of, oh, this song is so good, but it's also been forgotten. And so you do it and people are like, what the fuck is this? Oh, my God, I haven't thought about this song in 20 years. I Can Dream About You is the exact same way. And that song was the lead single from this. There's an entire massive Wikipedia page about it as it is referring to this movie and the soundtrack and blah, blah, blah. Here's the fun little part because it comes down to the fact that this was not supposed to be on the, in this movie. It was supposed to be for Hall & Oates. Hartman went to Hall and went to Daryl Hall, and he was like, "I wrote you this song. It's perfect for you guys." Daryl Hall's like, "I'm so sorry, we can't do it. We just finished recording our new record. It was gonna come out in like six months, five months, whatever it was. I don't remember um, what the exact date was, but so he, they were like, "I'm so sorry, we can't do it." And um, so then Hartman put it as this uh, in this movie. Uh, he gave it to this movie. It became the lead single from the movie. It was a massive hit. It was like it topped all the charts in 1984. And Hall and Oates were like, "Fuck!" <laughs> and so 20 years later, in in 2004, they did a uh, they did a like a B sides record, or maybe it was a covers record where it was just songs that other people did. When they 
when they were when they performed it live they did this song and or maybe it was a just a cover set something like that what? and they they um they covered this song and uh daryl hall was like he came to us 20 years ago and was like can you do this uh or do you, i wrote this song for you guys and we couldn't do it and um it's just so it, it's upset us forever that we couldn't do it because it's such a big song but i hope that he hears this and likes it and i just i love hall and oates like i, I meg and i have talked they're, about it that hall and oates is like one of our favorite bands to listen to like that and fleetwood mac like when we're when we when we're like what should we listen to it's literally between those two bands or queen mm-hmm. those are like the three bands that we listen to all the time because they never disappoint yeah yeah, they, they never miss. They absolutely never miss, except for when they didn't do the song, apparently. But they felt um, bad but about did they rec- it. Did they record years. that? Did they record that performance? Of I, that, I that don't cover? know if there's a, like a recording? full recording, like a studio yeah. recording or a live recording, but I know there's okay. one or the other. Dude, I got So, so to there's that also too. an interview with uh, Kenny Bantz, who, did, who was the musical director for the film, um, and he talks about this too. And he said, the same guy that sings lead on the song we're talking about uh, and Countdown to Love. Uh, a song that I wrote for the film was the guy was a guy working at Radio Shack at the time named Winston <laughs> Ford, and I think if you look at the film uh, and they're singing it live in that movie, that's the version that was supposed to come out, and I did a studio recording of that. But when Dan Hartman heard it, I don't know what happened next. I just know that he took off that guy's voice and put on his own, and then he had a huge hit with it. Dot dot dot. Hollywood could be a very slippery place. Sometimes. No fucking kidding. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um, but the only other big thing that I wanted to bring up with this movie is that the so talk about you mentioned that the the Jim Steinman songs feel a little phoned in, and I mostly agree. Although I get that fucking the rebels begin and the fires were started. We're dancing for the restless and the broken hearted. No, it, that gets it, it, looped it in my head. That's the problem. Yeah, it gets looped in my head forever. But they were brought in to replace the song Streets of Fire by Bruce Springsteen, um, which was supposed to be the actual opening and closing song. Uh. And there's been two different reports. Bruce Springsteen's camp says that the studio just decided they didn't want to pay for the song. The studio says that Bruce Springsteen didn't want anybody singing his song. I'm more inclined to believe the Bruce Springsteen side of that story because I think yeah. Homeboy's getting paid. He doesn't give a shit if it's his version or someone covering it. Right, um, right. But the end of the movie, there's this scene where Defoe shows up in town. All of the bikers roll in. A nice little touch that I do love of this like timeless world that we're in is this weird cover of Rumble by Link Ray that's just playing in the background. Yeah. Yep. And then yep. there's a sledgehammer fight <laughs> out of fucking nowhere. Uh, and I'm okay with that. Like, I know that this is a bad movie. And I know this isn't even necessarily a fun movie, but it's it's another one of those films where when I watch it, I think to myself, there are there's world. enough good <laughs> things in here that you could like assemble a really enjoyable movie out of this. And I, I can't even say in more capable hands because we're talking about Walter Hill here. We're Walter not talking Pumpkin about like Hill, some right. hack. That, right. <laughs> that rolled no, again, in and did I think it. that's why it's like, it, it, like he accomplished what he set out to do. Yeah. Right. Like that's like, so I, I can't fall with, with flair. I just don't think that like, con, like conceptually or like story wise, uh, more story wise than anything. I just like, it kind of falls flat and I just wanted like, one or two more songs like yeah. make actually make it this rock and roll fucking fable thing that you're like ad- pitching to me 
When, like right in the beginning of the movie, pitch black. The first like credits that roll are that that they're gonna pitch this thing, and the fucking music is going, and I'm like, hell yeah! And then it just like it just tones the fuck down. Though I do want to cosplay as Willem Dafoe in those overalls. <laughs> oh, those those the 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 mucklocks those, or whatever. Like, full, the, yes, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, when they were in the editor's room looking at the footage, the writer, uh, I keep blanking on his first name. I think it's Larry Gross. Larry Gross recalled that it took about five weeks, about five weeks into the 14-week shoot, they oh, started God. editing. And he said he looked at, at Walter Hill and said, this movie's a little bit weirder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> he said, we didn't just anticipate that the combination of all these elements, we didn't anticipate what the combination of all these different elements was going to turn out to be. And we had a very conscious design concept of the movie, but I think we didn't fully grasp how strong of a concept it would be in terms of the com- combining of all of these elements. Um, in a way, I think Streets of Fire was about expanding the Warriors concept onto a bigger stage. But when expanding it to a bigger scale, it completely changed and the movie's bigness, compositionally changed the meaning of everything and made it look yeah. less like what we intended. Um, so um, uh, 110%. Yeah, like I, I can see where accurate. it's like, I mean, I think the very first thing that I read is so telling where it's like he just wanted to make something that captured everything he wanted in a film as a teenager. And it's like he got all of those things. Yes. But it's but like, like when a child makes have? a sandwich with every piece of food that he <laughs> yeah, likes exactly. and it tastes like fucking garbage. Yeah, like it's like you there there is Put such every a thing topping as, on the pizza. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. It's that Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen uh video. <laughs> Give me pizza. pizza. Oh dude, don't <laughs> remind me. <laughs> it is mind blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not <laughs> And they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why did my f- facing Floyd Mayweather in the f- Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. All right. Well, double features. Scott, we already got yours. You, you yeah, it's Vicious, Vicious Lips, Lips a Little Shop. I mean, yeah. but I think Vicious Lips is actually better. So go ahead with yours, Matt. I'm going to write down the best musical we've ever fucking discussed on this podcast. Sorry, Little oh. Shop, but Phantom of the Paradise, man. Oh, like oh, every time I, I watch I this. I thought for a second there that you were going to say Shock Treatment. Yeah. Oh. No, I do love Shock Treatment, but no. I yep. mean, this gives me Phantom of the Paradise vibes and what they're mm-hmm. trying to achieve. I think Phantom of the Paradise, I don't even think. I think it's a, it's a fact. It works. Phan- Phantom of the Paradise is also doing something over the top and trying to combine so many different elements into a singular concept, but... Um, just handled a little bit 
with a with a little bit of a sense of like editing like like it, <laughs> yeah like the big picture they knew what they were trying to say and i and i get that this movie's not trying to say anything i don't think that there was anything no it's that all about vibes say. yeah it's so just vibes and vibe is hard to hold for 90 straight minutes <laughs> like, yeah. mm-hmm. all right kyle Dude, I actually I feel like this movie could pair with so much. Like I like I could not. St- and the, the ones that you've said and the ones that we've even referenced beforehand make a lot of sense. But two things come to mind. One, I'm pretty sure that that bar set is the same set that they use in Never Too Young to Die, when Gene Simmons like <laughs> has his like it performs at a nightclub. I'm positive that's what it was. So I had. I had Never Too Young to Die, but I actually think I'm going to go with Liquid Sky. It just also Ooh. is this sort of, like, dark, dreamy, like, this one's and it's more science fiction, mm-hmm. and it just, that one also relies on vibes, but it has even less to say. Like, it's more, it's, it's more pointed, and it's I just think Suspiria it pairs really well. Vibe yeah, that yeah. it goes for, you know? Yeah. Like, nothing and matters. It, and it's a little sleazy, too. It's a little really sleazier, sleazy. too. Like, this feels safe. The Streets of Fire feels like safer, and Liquid Sky seems sleazy. I don't know. That just that's that's just like a mushy, like Dorito induced, like um, <laughs> hug situation. Yeah, yeah. Vol- <laughs> uh, my as my my buddy Evan would say, a velour tracksuit on the inside of my skin. <laughs> like that's what it feels like. What have you watched, listened to, done, experienced? So I house sat for a weekend, so I watched a lot of shit. Um, but I'm only going to mention two things that I watched. Um, but I watched, I kept a track, 15 things, 15 things watched in a weekend while just sitting on Damn, this person's couch with their dogs. my brain. I would, my eyes would just melt. Um, but the two that jumped out at me, one is a interesting documentary that's on HBO Max called, it's, it's been around for about a year and some change, um, Class Action Park about oh, yeah. uh, Action that Park. Great. Mm-hmm. Have, have you both watched it? No, I just know yeah. about it. Okay. Kyle, you have watched it or not? I have. I've seen it, yes. It is fascinating to me about halfway through that movie when I realized that this entire documentary is based on approximately six interviews that they did and then just (laughs) archival footage. Like, they did not interview a lot of people for this at all. Um, But it is a wild story. It's, It's actually handles it really well in the sense that the first hour of this hour and a half documentary is just... It's almost laugh out loud. You're like, what the fuck is happening? This park is crazy. And then like, just as you're feeling goofy and fun about it, the last 30 minutes is like a total tone shift where they're like, and now we're going to talk about all the people who died because of the negligence of this place. And it's like, I like that they present it that way. Like, I like Mm -hmm. that they like Lord, because it does a good job of like, absolutely depicting why this would have been appealing to a bunch of 12 year old kids you're like what this is crazy this is like kids running a park like in and it it does a really great job of balancing that and the people that they brought in were just very funny like they got the right people to talk about their experiences there um for the first half and then the other thing i watched we mentioned the movie the happening on a patreon episode that we recorded but i watched his newest movie old Mm-hmm, which is available mm-hmm. on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. I am so confused on if I like this movie or not because it's another one where I'm like, is he making... We did a video on Geekscape, and that's what put this movie on my radar, that was like, is 
M. Night Shyamalan intentionally trying to invoke Ed Wood like isms in his movies now. And it was like, mm. he brings in actors who have won Oscars for performances and seemingly forces them to act very stiff in their delivery. Like, is he just fucking with us or is he truly that bad of a director? But like, he's made movies that were good. So we know that he can't, like, he's an anomaly. He's such an interesting person old is weird it made me feel uncomfortable at certain points it's it's bizarre like are you familiar with with anything about this movie yeah i know all about it yeah mm. it's just a strange how about you kyle have you watched this I, I i haven't watched it but i feel like i i've seen a little bit or enough about it to understand that it's probably weird <laughs> there's but then there's things where it's like he'll use like a tracking shot in the movie and it's used perfectly like it's like oh, wow, this is really building suspense and, and tension because, like, there's no cuts. We're just dealing with, like, all of the things that are happening and the camera's beautifully moving back and forth between, like, the three different things that are happening at once. And then we get another scene where you're like, who wrote this dialogue? What is happening? Mm -hmm. Why? Like, he's such a... I, I don't enjoy my time watching M. Night Shyamalan movies, but then I can't stop thinking about them after I've watched them so I'm like oh, god damn sure. it like I guess it's one of those things where I, I I got curious it was late I was watching a dog hey, I man, you don't have to defend yourself to us look yeah yeah I'm I'm gonna <laughs> say that I watched old and then immediately went to action park as almost like a palate cleanser because I was like I need something that I know will just be weird and goofy for a little bit but yep Absolutely. those are my two things I'm gonna talk about well, I already talked about going to see Hamilton, so I yeah. mean, I I got nothing else interesting to top that. There you go, um, Kyle. I watched Halloween Five um, for <laughs> yeah, the first time in my life, and so what are we I talking about I, on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, oh, it, we're, it's it's got to be this year, October twenty twenty three. I I am f I'm I'm flabbergasted. I I wrote I wrote my letterbox review three stars. Uh, wow, this was incomprehensible blasphemy, and I loved it. Um, because I don't think, cause if I think I talked about watching four for the first time on here, uh, a few weeks back, uh, as what did I, what, uh, as what did I watch? And what I loved about four and sort of like bringing Myers back into some sort of like understandable setting five just comes in like a fucking, like an old granny driving through <laughs> the window of her salon. Um, like it just comes barreling through, not confused, like completely, like, did they already get their hair done or are they going to their appointment? Like, I don't know. Is this even their salon? Um, it's, it's bonkers. That's a beautiful analogy, could, man. I could yeah, not yeah. stop what I could. I, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I loved every second of it. It was amazing. There's literally a conversation between two characters, Samantha and Tina, I, I messaged you guys about it. Yeah. I was like, you said it's I, don't know, I don't know what they said. It was another language. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it it wasn't even like about um, losing her virginity. And she's like, Sad. yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. And like they kept interrupting and talking over mm -hmm. each other as if it was supposed to be. It's improv. teenage girls, guys. That's, that's, <laughs> that's like, how teenage girls talk. I was, dude, I could not believe it. Could not believe it. I loved it. I loved it so much. And I get why people um, have a place in their heart for it because it, in the same way that we talked about Nightmare 5 
being like if you took freddie out of it it could just be like and put in vinegar syndrome put it out like i would just think it's a bonkers <laughs> like crazy weirdo slasher and i think similarly about halloween five it's like but but also a complete under like somehow a complete understanding of like what myers was but just deciding to not listen to any of it <laughs> just not loomis is unhinged i loved it yeah oh yeah all right well this was a weird one to kick off the year, and we've recorded a couple more episodes, and it's just getting weirder from here. But oh, yeah. we are treating ourselves with some good movies in 2023. That is the promise we've made to ourselves. But don't you worry, diehard fans, because Matt Kelly's still on this show. Kyle's <sighs> still on this show. We're going to subject Scott to some bad <laughs> yeah. stuff every once in a while can't as well. keep us down. We're doing, all I'm going to tell you, hint, hint for in a few months, we're doing something that I have flat out refused to do my entire tenure on this show, which is that we are, I have picked a movie that I have not watched. Um, I, I've picked a movie that I remember the ads as a child and it was an anniversary of this movie coming up. And I said, this seems like something that would be good for the show. Let's, let's just do a blind one. I'm pulling a Brian Kelly. We're going in blind on something this year. So you know, new uh, horizons. I hope that I still want to be your friend afterwards. Who knows? I mean, if you've stuck around this long, I don't think I can lose yeah. you. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right, we'll be back next week with more horror movie night. It is mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on the regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not what I wear. <laughs> and they also say things like, the, the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.